0: Welcome to Victory Church's online podcast library. We hope you enjoy this message today. I'm going to talk a little bit about being transformed into a worshiper. You know, he picks the most unusual people. Actually, his favorite is to pick the most miserable person in the community, whatever that community is. And make them a worshipping lightning rod. I mean, I can, I can prove it to you. I mean, you think about the Gadarene demoniac. He was the, he was the worst, sorry, miserable person in that whole region. And he became a worshiper. And you think about the Samaritan woman. She was absolutely a miserable person, a wretched, miserable person who hated her life. And she became the worshiper. You know, I always think about—it's uh, funny—the terminology of the 1700s. You know, you know, I'm a, I, I read Jonathan Edwards all the time. I love his writings, and I've learned, I've fed from his writings. And um, he's talking about the Great Awakening, and you could—you could say the Great Awakening literally began in his town. It's a—it was a little frontier town, of 2,500 people, and there was a, a, a young woman in that town. That all the young teenage boys used to talk about. I wonder why. Well, they called her the greatest company keeper in town. That was their terminology. In other words, she was a woman of loose morals. And all the young boys used to talk about her and make fun and jokes and, and peek around, and, you know, try to sneak up on her and look in her windows. And it was a big joke. Well, of all, God sits in the heavens and laughs. And this young girl got radically saved. I mean, radically saved. And she became the lightning rod. Think about this. that started revival in Northampton that ultimately birthed revival in the 13 colonies. And that's why we say one nation under God today. The 13 colonies experienced a revival that lasted about 40 years. Started with a woman of loose morals. And God changed her life. There's hope for you. Amen. <laughs> so here's, here's, the, here's the, we're going to just dig around. I've read a couple of blogs about the woman at the well last week. So I'm going to dig around. This is just, par, I just put partial. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Don't get nervous. Just partial blogs. Okay. John four twenty three and 24. This is the woman at the well. And Jesus is... It's telling her, you know, he's, he'd been telling her about the living water and about drinking living water and about how she'd try to be satisfied with men and, and she'd never be satisfied with that. And, and then he'd come, he goes and he starts to tell her, and tell her, you know, God, it's not, it's not about worship in this style or in this temple or in that religion or in that denomination or doing it this way. He said, God is a spirit, he said to her. They that worship him must worship in, Spirit and in truth, it has to be real, it has to be authentic, it has to be from the heart, it has to be from revelation. And so, he said to her, a time is coming, and even now has arrived. It's here now. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshippers. The Father's seeking worshipers because His worshipers are His advertisements. That's, that's what they are. What, what, when you're a worshiper, what you're saying by your actions, by your authenticity is, God is good. That's what you're saying. You're pre- when you're worshiping God from your heart, Oh, God is good. Actually, you're saying, God is my good. He is my portion. He is my treasure. So worshipers are His advertisements. Of the world. So uh, anyway, here's I love the ministry of Jesus. Leave it to him to transform the most humiliated and miserable person in town <clears throat> to be the very tool he used to change a region. Amen. This passage was directed toward the woman at the well in Samaria who'd gone through five husbands and was living with number six. Her redemption story turned Samaria on its ear. The Lord had been doing things, has been doing things like this for a long time. The beginning of the great awakening that birthed our nation started in a small town, Northampton, on the edge of the American frontier. A woman who was described as the greatest company keeper in town got radically saved and became the catalyst that began revival in that community, which ultimately affected the 13 colonies. Jesus turns the most pathetic individuals into worshipers in spirit and in truth. He's looking for the most miserable person, the most depressed, the most dissatisfied. And he finally says, that's mine right there. And he transforms them into a worshiper. That's his plan. He loves to take off this garment, the spirit of heaviness and replace it with a garment of praise. He looks for that depressed Person says, I'm taking that horrible mantle of depression off of them and I'm going to fill them with supernatural joy. First, we become worshipers in spirit. Our eyes are open to Christ and to the spiritual worlds. We're filled with the Spirit and we become worshipers. Our eyes are open and we see what we couldn't see before, and we're 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 leveled, we're brought to the floor, and we see we see his greatness and his goodness. Worship is no longer a ritual or a routine. Oh, you have to do it this way. I believe you have to sing these kind of songs or that kind of, we have to do it over here. And then remember the argument this woman had with Jesus. We do it on this mountain and you do it on that mountain. And, and, And Jesus said it's not about mountains and temples. It's not about buildings or mountains or temples. Or this style or that style. It's not whether it's country music or old-time religious music or, or gospel music or contemporary music. It has nothing to do with anything. I think you're going to be shocked when you hear heaven's music. I think all of us are going to be shocked. It's going to be louder than you think, I promise you. Louder than anything you've ever heard in this place, I promise you. Yeah, so worship is no longer a ritual or a routine. It's an awakened heart, drinking in living water and pouring our love back to the Lord in worship. Next, the Lord said we would become worshipers in truth. So spirit and truth. Everyone say spirit and truth. That's that's what worship is. It's spirit and truth. I love this. The Greek word for truth is aletheia. It means reality or worshiping the Lord out of revelation. Christ becomes amazingly real to us. So let's just stop for a moment. Worship in spirit and in truth. Worship in spirit. Worship is, is supernatural. Worship is, is spiritual. It's, it originates in heaven. It's, it's, a, it's a quickened by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit awakens us to worship. Holy Spirit anoints us for worship. Now you think about you know one of the amazing stories in the Bible is in Acts chapter eight. Acts chapter eight happened very very early on, just after the beginning of the church, and uh, one Philip, one the evangelist, went down to preach in Samaria in Sychar. Now it wasn't a very big town. You know this lady was there. It only hadn't been that long ago. She was there. All the people that she had shared with were there. The people that had heard Jesus speak with for three days, they were all there. The Lord sent Philip down there to throw gas on the fire. So Philip went down there and preached. And miracles broke out and revival broke out and people got saved and they were being baptized in water. I'm sure that woman was probably baptized in this revival that Philip led. Now, then something else happened. Listen to this. Acts 8, 14 through 16. When the apostles in Jerusalem, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, Now they remember they were there, Peter and John were there with Jesus. They remembered Fotino, or whatever the lady's name was. They remember what had happened in that town. It was a, a precious memory. It was a, bit, it was a huge memory because they didn't want to go to a Samaritan town. It was unclean. They didn't want to hang out for three days, but they saw the first awakening break out in Samaria. And so, they, so when, when they heard Philip was down there, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John. Who came down and prayed for them. The, the phraseology, if you read it in the original, is they, they prayed for them one by one. They went like a prayer line and they laid hands on every person down there. They just started laying hands on them. They prayed for them one by one and they, that they would receive the Holy Spirit. So they had been saved, baptized in water, but they had not yet received the, the outpouring, the baptism, the immersion into the Holy Spirit. For, for he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So that's what happened. They went down there and the Holy Ghost fell. So they—they, they, this was the initiation of the prophetic word of Jesus. God is a spirit. God is a spirit. Samaria is going to worship me in spirit and in truth. That's why I'm here. I came here on purpose. I came to share with this miserable woman to birth a revival in this community that they would become worshipers in spirit and in truth. Worship is supernatural. You know, if you start digging in that well, there's a well in your belly now. If you're saved, there's a well. That well might be clogged up with stuff. It's partially clogged up in all of our lives. And we start worshiping and praying, we start digging up that well, and we start, the living water starts to bubble up and starts to wash out all the garbage, all the years of, of, of refuse, and whatever, it's, it's all that, that stuff that's in there, all that gradue, whatever you want to call it, it starts to get washed out. And the next thing you know, it's bubbling up, it's bubbly. and then the next thing you know, you become aware, whoa, what is this? God is here. God is here. Ka say may. And you become God aware and you start to begin to drink that living water. God is the spirit. Now it goes on, so he also said we must worship him in spirit and in truth. So it's not just doing whatever we want, it has to be real. It has to come out of revelation. Worship comes out of revelation. It's by it's by catching a glimpse of Jesus. When you catch a glimpse of Jesus, when you catch a glimpse of Jesus for yourself, you have no other recourse. You become a worshiper when you see him. That's that's truth. That's revelation. That's reality. That's the authenticity of true worship. It's birthed out of a revelation of Jesus. Now look at what else he said to this woman. In time, He said, a time is coming and even now has arrived. Verse 23, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is a spirit and those that worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Then Jesus said to her, I am he. The one speaking to you. This changed everything for this lady. She began to see him for herself. An, un- an opening, the veil began to come off, the blinders began to come off. The, instead of seeing through a glass darkly, you began to see him. Have you seen Christ? Have you seen his handiwork? You you can see him everywhere. Once once it begins to happen, you open the pages, and there he is in the pages of the book, walking through the pages. You You come to church, and you see him in the congregation. You see his handiwork in the church. You hear his voice in the worship. You hear his voice in the Word of God. It's being preached. You, you begin to see His handiwork in creation. You begin to see Christ everywhere. God is a the Spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit. And in truth, you start to see the, the truth, the reality of God everywhere. And you're brought down to your knees, humbled before Him. And you say, Holy, 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 Holy. Lord God Almighty, you become a worshiper. Yeah. He's still looking for worshipers. He still is. Um, let me share this other part of a devotion that I wrote. When Jesus made his intentional journey through Samaria, he was being very specific. He was looking for worshipers. That's what he was looking for. He, but he knew that he, he was actually looking for this one particular worshiper. Since the fall in the garden, that has been his quest. You see, man's separation from God was Catastrophic. What happened in the garden is we were separated from God. We could no longer perceive God. We couldn't see Him. We couldn't feel Him. We couldn't hear Him. We were separated from God. And the Holy Spirit begins to penetrate that veil and begins to open up to us Christ. And we begin to see and touch God for the first time. What we lost is the perception of God. What we gain in Christ is the perception of God. We can no longer see Him as He is. His greatness. This is what we lost. We lost the ability to see His greatness, His kindness, His generosity, His power. They were all masked from us. Jesus came to remove that mask and bring us face to face with goodness. The amazing thing in this story is how Jesus did it. He went to Samaria. This was shocking because Samaritans had corrupted the teachings of the Bible and they had become a mixed race with one of the conquerors, the Assyrians. To make matters worse, Jesus targeted a woman who had been married five times and was living with a man she was not married to. What a strange place to look for a worshiper. How did Jesus go about creating a worshiper? He began by unveiling His greatness. This woman, He he, he spoke about who He is. And the gift of the Holy Spirit that He came to offer. Bringing this woman into this light is where this first worshiper in Samaria was created. This is exactly what the Lord is doing today. So nothing has changed in our modern world. Jesus is still looking for worshippers. He often looks in unexpected places. He might find it in a youth who has drifted into a world of anger and robbery. Or he could even be a businessman who's lost his way in compromise to become a success. He may even find this worshiper in you. Let him open your eyes to his greatness. When that happens, worship is not an option. His greatness demands it. So we we see him in different capacities. You know, in in the Bible, there's different places where where Jesus would begin to manifest his glory. There's in Matthew fifteen there was this crowd of people that had gathered together and Jesus began to heal people. It says he he, he it says on those who were unable to talk began to speak, and those who had impaired limbs began to be restored. Those who were limping began walking around, and those who were blind began to see. So it was a mass healings broke out in this crowd. All hundreds of people began to be healed of all kinds of crazy things. What was the response when the people saw that? They began to glorify the God of Israel. They began to see His healing power. They began to see His greatness. They began to touch the greatness of the Lord. You think about the paralyzed man that that was let down through the roof. And Jesus looked at him and He said, Son, your sins are forgiven. Rise, pick up your pallet and walk. He spoke to that man and He said, My son... My son, your sins are forgiven. That's exactly. He looks He looks at you. Maybe your friends drug you to church. Or it's maybe, maybe, maybe your family drug you to church. Or maybe God drug you to church. Or maybe you came for some stupid reason. But you're here. And he's looking down in your face. And he says, my son, my daughter, your sins are forgiven. Pick up your pallet and walk. And when you see, when you see his love for you, his love for you that you don't deserve, his love for you and your miserable, horrible attitudes, and he loves you. 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 And he he he, begins to, in the worship, you start to feel something. That's his love. He's saying, I love you. That's what he's saying. I love you. I love you. You start to sense his kindness. You start to sense, you know, when you begin to, the Holy Spirit begins to reveal himself. You you see his, his kindness. You see his generosity. Sometimes you see his holiness. And it brings the fear of God on you. Sometimes you see his power. Sometimes you see his wisdom or his sovereignty, his, his characteristics. You begin to taste the edge Of what He's like. Of His nature. And when that happens, you go, Oh! Ah, and you begin to worship Him. God is great. God is greater than I thought. He's nearer than I thought. He's kinder than I thought. He's more generous than I thought. He's more holy than I thought. He's nearer than I thought. He's more powerful than I thought. That's how you become a worshiper. Now I'm going to finish with this um, last partial, partial blog. I have to be part of it. So He says, An hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is a spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. It's hard for us to consider eternity. It just doesn't compute to our brain. How could someone have always existed? I remember asking my mom that when I was just a little small child. Where did God come from? He's always existed. Well, how can something always exist? When we say we believe it, but do we really believe it? We have a mental belief, about. but tasting eternity is more than a belief in something. It's touching the edge of it for ourselves. Anyone who touches the edge of eternity is immediately turned into a, a worshiper. Now this is what Charles Spurgeon said about that. He said, heaven will be full of the ceaseless praises of Jesus. Eternity, he says. Thine unnumbered years shall speed their everlasting course, but forever and forever to Him be glory. Glory. Is he not a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek? To him be glory. Is he not king forever? King of kings and Lord of lords, the everlasting father. To him be glory forever. Never shall his praises cease. That which was bought with blood deserves to last while immortality endures. The glory of the cross may, must never be eclipsed. The luster of the grave and of the resurrection must never be dimmed. O oh, Jesus, thou shalt be praised forever, long as immortal souls, spirits, live, long as the Father's throne endures forever and forever. Unto thee shall be the glory. Believer. You are anticipating the time when you shall join the saints above and ascribing all glory to Jesus. But are you glorifying Him now? Yeah. Eternity when you know the 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 presence of God, the Holy Spirit. Have you felt His presence? Have you ever felt the anointing? The anointing. It's eternity. Breaking in on us. It's, it's eternity touching you. It's eternity. We, we live in this, 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 this little bubble of a world called creation. That has time and space. But when, when heaven starts breaking in on you, that's His presence. You start to feel His presence. It's eternity breaking in on you. It's God breaking in on you. The eternal one. And you start to, to realize that this, this is temporary. This body's temporary. This building is temporary. This city is temporary. The business that I work for, it's temporary. It's useful, but it's temporary. It's all temporary. It, w- it won't be here for much longer. A hundred years from now, if you could be transported a hundred years from now, probably the millennium. But if it wasn't the millennium, you look around, what, would you recognize anything? Probably not. None of these buildings would be here. And this is, we get so consumed with dust in the wind, stuff that'll be gone. <laughs> And we can't help ourselves because we're in it. But what rescues us from that is His anointing. He breaks in and we begin to sense that. Oh, there's there's more than this. There's more than this in my heart. There's eternities in my heart. The Bible says it is. And my heart grabs this and and recognizes there is more than this. and, And this is what I was born for. I wasn't born for this. I was born for this. There must be more. There must be more. I've tasted some, but there must be more than what I've tasted. (laughs) There must be. Visit our website at www.victorychurchnola.com for service times and more information.